it's really quite incredible uh, to watch what she's doing. Um, obviously, you, you guys can't see this. Bo is currently destroying the little piece of paper that Tom's holding. I've got my script, and um, it's now in two pieces. That's quite a strong beak for like a little bird, isn't it, really? Um. Vultures. They're back again. It's true we're no stranger to talking about this fascinating group of birds on our podcast, but I felt that this one in particular deserved to be revisited and given an episode all of their own, the Egyptian vulture. Whatever image you have in your mind when it comes to vultures, the Egyptian vulture is so very different from its peers that it implores you to make a reassessment. This species is beautiful in its own right, having a largely white plumage. And it easily equals any eagle when it comes to soaring ability. Hello, I'm Tom Morath. I'm the Deputy Head of Living Collection at the Hawk Conservancy Trust. And whether it be vultures or owls, harriers or hawks, I have a passion for birds of prey and understanding their place in our natural world. Our podcast, Nature's a Hoot, is a way to delve deeper into the world of these winged predators, to understand their natural history, their current status in the wild, and how we can support them through conservation efforts into the future. We may have in part covered the majestic and troubled world of vultures before, but I reckon that this species deserves a whole episode of its own. This time, I'm going to be finding out more about the Egyptian vulture and discovering the latest news from the work being done to understand and support this species and the threats that they face. You can find Egyptian vultures across a vast range in Europe, Africa and Asia. And like most vultures, it's predominantly a scavenger, finding the carrion left behind by predators in order to survive. But they're not exclusively scavengers. Insects, small reptiles and amphibians may be on their menu. Perhaps most interestingly of all, they've got a particular taste for the eggs of other birds. The way in which they access the meal inside the shell makes this species unique in the vulture world and it's something that I wanted to recreate with our own resident Egyptian vulture. I have been working with this wonderful young lady here for just going past about a year now. She's absolutely incredible when she, you know, when the day suits and she's, it's really the bow weather, you know, she's got so many different options and it's amazing really to see when she's out and about. Uh, it's been amazing over the year because you really do figure her out and you get to see like when there's a bit of a breeze, how she really copes with that compared to those really strong thermal days where she can literally just set those wings and go up like a hot air balloon. Mm. Um, really amazing. Bow is an Egyptian vulture who has lived at the Hawk Conservancy Trust since 2016, arriving when she was just a few weeks old. Since then, she's been working with certain members of the bird team. James Knight is one such member of the team, and the caring relationship they have with each other is plain to see. I was going to actually ask you, what, what is it like to work with her? It's, to be honest, it's really an education. Um, before I'd worked with Bo here I didn't have all that much experience working with soaring birds and obviously when you've got a bird that you're working alongside and they're a couple of hundred feet high in the sky it's not like you can say well done over a little microphone and tell them oh that's really good or if you go over there it might be even better or I wouldn't go over there um, so it's, it's really quite incredible. Now back to the egg. 
As a smaller species of vulture, the Egyptian vulture can sometimes struggle to compete with the larger vultures around a carcass, so they've had to diversify. They've developed an ingenious strategy to access another type of food, fairly abundant on the savannas and low hills across their African range. Ostrich eggs. As the largest egg laid by any bird alive today, which is roughly the equivalent of 20 or so chicken eggs, the ostrich egg presents a fabulous feeding opportunity, if you can break into them. Here is where the challenge begins. The eggshell is too thick for the vultures to peck a hole in the side of them. Neither can they lift the egg and drop it from great heights in the hopes of smashing it because the egg is too heavy and too unwieldy. The Egyptian vulture needs to do something that no other vulture species has been recorded doing. They use a tool. They scan their habitat for the perfectly sized stone and bring it back to the egg before repeatedly throwing the rock against the side of the egg. Eventually, the shell cracks and gives the vulture access to the tasty meal inside. It's a remarkable sight and it's a behaviour that we've been encouraging during training sessions with Bo. So one of the things we're talking about on this episode of the podcast is their ability to break open eggs mm -hmm. in the wild, which obviously is going to be ostrich eggs. They're very famous yep. for breaking open. I have brought along a chicken's egg. How exciting. Do you mind if we give it a go and see whether she'll use that same technique? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me give that to you. Should we take her out into the aviary a bit and let's see, see what she does? Do you want to hop down here, little lady? We've got a treat for you. Ooh. Oh, look at that straight in the beak. What are you going to do? Wow. So she Instant. picked it up, <laughs> smashed it against the floor, and now eating the egg. <laughs> so you getting that tasty yolk on the inside. That, that was a lot quicker than I thought it was going to be. I didn't even get to see it. She was stood in the way. A bit selfish, really, wasn't it? <laughs> Very selfish. Um, I know when we've done this in the past, we typically use some of our... Um, large, we've got some replica rear eggs that we use quite a lot of the time. Mm. Made short work of that, haven't you, Missy? Um, and she does have a little collection of stones on her little um, shelf that, uh, as much as I'd like to imagine that she neatly arranged as they are, we sort of keep them there for safekeeping <laughs> until we try to get her to show it off. But naturally, they'll use you know those sharp little uh, flints and rocks that they pick up across the savannas. They'll pick them up and they'll, they'll carry them to like incredible distances in the search for these these ostrich eggs. Not quite needed with a chicken egg. No, <laughs> so it seems. it's a bit different. It's a, it's a poor representation of what those wild birds might be doing. But, you know, great to be able to show some of our visitors this sort of thing. You know, this Absolutely. enrichment side of what we're doing, isn't it? But this isn't the only natural behaviour that James and the team here have been encouraging Bo to demonstrate. A large part of the work the bird team at the Trust do is to encourage natural flight styles from the birds. Each day, visitors can expect to see 50 or more birds demonstrating the type of flying that we might see from them in the wild. This is equally true for Bo. And wow, can these birds fly! Another of the misconceptions that vultures seem to face is that they're not very capable flyers. If there are ever a poster bird for the aerial abilities for vultures though, I feel like the Egyptian vulture would be it. These birds 
are one of the longest distance migratory species of birds of prey in the world and the only species of truly migratory vulture, meaning they're the only one to migrate each year in order to hatch and raise their youngsters, flying from their breeding grounds in Europe to their wintering grounds south of the Sahara. These huge distances can tot up to a massive 5,000 kilometres, with as much as 640 kilometres travelled in a single day in the right conditions. Using natural lift in the form of thermal currents and updrafts of air funnelled by the shape of the terrain, the vultures climb high into the air before tucking their wings, gliding across the sky until they find the next pocket of natural lift. It's this style of flying that we've encouraged Bo to demonstrate during her part in the Masters of the Sky, our 2pm flying display at our visitor centre in Hampshire. So she soars to those great heights. Has she got, has she got a record actually? Do you know how, what the highest point she's ever been at? She does. Uh, it's very apt that you ask this now because she literally just last week broke her record. Okay. So um, up until last week her record was just shy of two and a half thousand feet. Um, last week, on a absolutely incredibly warm day where she went soaring up into the heavens, uh, we lost sight of her, but the little GPS tracker that she was wearing uh, clocked her in at just over 4,000 feet. Wow. Absolutely amazing, and it is incredible. Unfortunately, we had no idea where she was, because at that point she's gone past the cloud cover, uh, so we're all looking. In fact, Ryan, who was commentating, was pointing at a buzzard for about 30 minutes, but <laughs> it was absolutely amazing Easily when done. she came back to join us. <laughs> and you've been in that position, though, haven't you, where you're, you're out in Reggie's Wildflower Meadow, mm -hmm. you're surrounded by this beautiful habitat, and Bo is a thousand feet above your head, and you put your glove up, and she stoops in. What's that feeling like? Oh, it's, it's absolutely amazing because, you know, you've been watching this bird and you can see all that she's doing, all those little things that she's thinking about, the turn of the wind, you know, where those thermals are and she's watching for those wild birds and using them as a benchmark on where to go. And then she's doing her own thing and she's such an incredible individual that as soon as she sees that cue to come back home, uh, it's such an amazing, amazing feeling and so, you know, it's so lovely to see that as far as you're aware, looking up at that bird, hundreds if not thousands of feet above, uh, a completely wild individual, if you didn't know better, mm. to suddenly tuck those wings in and start hurtling through the air and then land very daintily on the end of your arm in front of everyone. Um, it's absolutely amazing. It's quite, it's undescribable really. Watching Bo fly like this is clearly a highlight for both visitors and for the staff who work for her. Yes, we work for the birds and not the other way around, that's for sure. But seeing her take to the wing is also a moment to contemplate the less than favourable conservation status of Bo's wild counterparts. This species is classified by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, or the IUCN, as endangered, meaning that they're at a high risk of extinction. Migration is well known to be a dangerous time for birds, and it's becoming clear that populations of many migratory species are in rapid decline. This is also the case for the Egyptian vulture. A big challenge with conserving migratory species is that birds often encounter different threats in the different areas they spend their time in. This can be in the breeding grounds, where they spend the winter, or along those migratory routes. The variation in the threats the Egyptian vulture faces is well studied for the population in Europe, the Middle East and in Africa.
that very little is known about Egyptian vultures that migrate in Central Asia. Gaining a greater understanding of what these threats in Central Asia could be is at the heart of a conservation project undertaken by the Hawke Conservancy Trust. And we don't do it alone. It's a bird that you, once you see, you will remember forever because they are white, essentially white and black. They have, they have orange faces. Uh, they have this uh, specific uh, tail, which is, uh, which is really like a triangle and like really pointy. So they, they are very super specific. Dr. Vladimir Dovrev has a wealth of experience monitoring Egyptian vultures in the wild as part of his role with the Bulgarian Society for the Protection of Birds, as well as the Egyptian Vulture in Central Asia project. The project is based in Uzbekistan, where there are estimated to only be 135 breeding pairs of Egyptian vultures, with the species listed in the Uzbekistan Red Data Book. I caught up with Vladimir at the Trust after the Masters of the Sky flying display. I asked Vlad what he thought of Bo's flight during the display. She was amazing, really amazing. I mean, she's, uh, she's incredible, but I think this is the way to actually explain people how cool vultures are actually, and that they are not ugly, as you said, and they are not uh, the, these guy, bad guys from the, from, the far, from the cartoons. They are the masters of the sky, really, so it's the, there are no other birds like vultures. <laughs> Bo does an amazing job of demonstrating that very natural soaring behaviour. But her key role is to highlight the difficulties of the lives led by her wild counterparts and the work being done to protect those birds. I wanted to know more from Vladimir about how these birds were faring and what their main threats are. It's difficult. Uh, generally they are, they are de decreasing. Uh, the population is in decline, but uh, also it's, uh, it's a species that, that spreads, uh, spread across Europe, Africa and Asia. And uh, in the last 15-20 years, I would say many efforts has been, have been invested in, uh, along the Eastern Mediterranean flyway, mostly uh, uh, the Balkans, Middle East Africa, and also what has been done in, in Spain. Uh, still, on, still the species uh, is considered uh, endangered on a global scale, uh, whereas populations in Europe, Africa and Middle East are relatively well studied some in some parts of the of the of the range this species is like vastly studied like so so much efforts in research conservation and stuff and uh, that's the huge contrast to to asia where actually nothing has been done so far and uh, we're just about to understand much more about the, the the range of the species in this part of the of the world also the threats and uh, the wintering grounds it's it's totally unknown for many aspects but yeah generally so many threats operate across the range of the species uh, of course as many other vouchers the, the most significant threat is poisoning so this is one of the drivers for the population decline globally uh, it's it's a really old conflict between people between humans and carnivores so it's it's also the main driver behind the egyptian vulture population decline also the other threats that we have uh, 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 we have identified like the illegal killing 
uh, in the Middle East, which is a significant threat, especially for birds flying the Eastern Mediterranean flyway, because they are essentially all of the birds flying from Europe or the Caucasus and, and uh, Asia Minor to Africa, they are passing over the, the Middle East and uh, more precisely over uh, Lebanon, also Syria. So there are so many uh, people they are practicing this illegal hunt, so they are just shooting birds for fun. And uh, we have already had cases with birds that we have tagged and like shot there. Another threat is electrocution, really significant. There is data about many electricity power lines along the flyway that pose a threat to not only to Egyptian vultures but to other uh, to other birds migrating. But hopefully in the in the last years uh, we have also been working with electric electricity companies and operators in the region, so we are already insulating uh, power lines in uh, in the region which will help not only the Egyptian but uh, the Egyptian vulture but many other species. The Hawk Conservancy Trust has been supporting the project in Central Asia by providing GPS satellite tags to identify migratory routes and wintering areas of the endangered Egyptian vulture. I asked Vladimir what satellite tagging the vultures means for the birds and how the tags help us to support this endangered species. We, we were trying to save this threatened Balkan population, uh, which is in a huge decline. Like uh, it has dropped to uh, about fi 50 pairs nowadays, and it was maybe thousands in the past. So uh, when we started uh, in the like 20, 20 years ago, it was uh, there was almost no information on the Egyptian vulture or anything. Satellite tagging of birds is helpful in many ways. I believe we. We, we have very good examples about that and uh, we started uh, especially in the east eastern Europe in in the Balkans we start tagging Egyptian vultures uh, particularly in Bulgaria back in 2010 birds can can manage with with uh, having attack on the back and then the the quality and the quantity of information and data we collect is just enormous and most of all it helps tremendously to to address the threats because all the facts and data we, we understand with the, with the transmitters is, is, is so valuable. For example, uh, this is how we found uh, that some of our birds from the Balkans, uh, they reached the, the, the black markets in Nigeria because uh, for, for voodoo purposes and uh, this the so-called juju markets. So we got we had one bird tag, then it was killed in Nigeria, then uh, by a by a traditional hunter uh, who came from Nigeria, he killed the bird, then he sneaked it into Nigeria, and we could tell this only by the by the by the track that uh, that we got from the transmitter. So we were able to to actually to contact local people, uh, local collaborators who can who could actually visit the site. They they could collect data and intelligence in the in the village where the bird was killed so we reviewed this story by only by the ch by this chance that we, we had the, the this bird tagged we we also had we have few birds that die uh, because of poisoning in Ethiopia which was also very uh, very, very useful because uh, it was in a certain region then it was a threat that was not considered significant in this region and this is a region with uh, congregating thousands of Egyptian vultures com coming from the Balkans, the, uh, Turkey, the Caucasus and Middle East, so really important area for the, for the, for the Egyptian vulture. Uh, we also fi find out so much about their, their uh, migration routes, uh, which is also important because this is the tool that we use to uh, 
to essentially protect the species and build up our conservation strategies uh, according to the to the migration tracks we know where the bottlenecks are uh, we know where majority of the birds pass over so we can we can target specific regions and, and places uh, to tackle specific threats in these sites to make sure that these birds will survive in the future we came up with this flyway approach in 2017 and then we started this huge flyway Egyptian, Egyptian voucher flyway project which run, run across the, the Balkans, the Middle East and, and, and Africa so and uh, uniting the, uh, the efforts of, of 22 organizations for 14 countries so this was the largest Egyptian voucher project ever and but this this project huge project was focused only on this on this flyway and but we wanted to go further so this is how we came uh, came up with this uh, with the Central Asian project because it, it was a total blank uh, and now nobody has done have has done anything there we decided to to start this project there to to find out because even the migration routes the wintering grounds were not known even if somebody makes an effort and goes if if you go through the documents published before 2017 2018 like strategic documents like flyway action plans or or, or a multi-species uh, action plan for for the vouchers and and so on you find that there is a great uncertainty when speaking about the the eastern range of the egyptian voucher this is how we we started the project in uh, uh, 2021 it was uh, it was uh, this is how we actually get to the got to whole conservancy and and uh, then this when we spoke and uh, you know you you decided to help and support the project which was really cool and uh, we tagged uh, in 2021 we tagged uh, four birds for juveniles in Uzbekistan in, in the central Kazakhum desert and uh, unfortunately one of the tags never worked but the, the rest three work perfectly then the two of them actually made their way to India which was uh, and they actually reached a site which is well known for the huge congregation of Egyptian vouchers which was actually nobody before considered as a congregation sites for migrants but they thought more of the birds most of the birds are local breeders or uh, or from the from the other subspecies then uh, we had though one bird that actually it kind of uh, I, I believe it took the wrong way uh, somehow because uh, unlike the others it's it just migrate starts wandering around it went to Iran then he, he hung around there like uh, following the coast back and uh, backward and and forward and then finally uh, start following the the Persian Gulf and and crossed uh, across the, the Arabian Peninsula and ended up in, in Yemen uh, something else which is fascinating about this these birds there and this migration flyways actually uh, next year we, we for the first time in Central Asia in this whole region uh, we, we, we trap five Egyptian vultures in Uzbekistan again of different ages they, they all went straight to India so there was no doubt about it birds the birds from Central Asia are most of them at least are are probably most of them following the the Central Asian flyway and they are all wintering in a, in in a small region like in the state of Rajasthan. Uh, what we are seeking now is just expanding the network of of, of people who are actually helping us and and uh, just building up uh, relationships and collaborations in the region, not only in Central Asia but also in the wintering grounds in India, Pakistan, and uh, yeah. So it's so many challenges and so much to discover, actually, because we're just starting. Vladimir's passion for the Egyptian vulture 
is clearly evident, and it's a match for our own at the Hawke Conservancy Trust. I'm excited to see how the efforts being rolled out to support them will develop into the future. Now, it's time for that all-important question. Vladimir, of all the birds of prey in the world, if you could be one of them, which one would you be? Well, Egyptian vultures, <laughs> of course. <laughs> They, they they tend to like they like them themselves and and these gross places. <laughs> that's also that's also you know somebody has to do the dirty job. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Vlad's response that he'd still choose to be an Egyptian vulture, despite their habits for foraging on dump sites, is testament to his passion for the species. And he's right. Someone's got to do the dirty jobs. It's perhaps unsurprising that the guests we ask onto the show to talk about each species tend to have a great desire to join their ranks. In Vladimir's case, can you blame him for going with his beloved Egyptian vultures? Imagine soaring thousands of feet into the air on migration, traversing continents with ever-changing scenery. And if nothing else, there's always the option of a nice big egg for your tea. Like many other vulture species, the Egyptian vulture is in urgent need of our attention and support. Their lifestyle of long-distance migration makes it harder than it might otherwise be to understand the best ways to support them with conservation. But through the close partnerships of like-minded organisations like Central Asian Vultures and the Hawk Conservancy Trust, and the great passion of conservationists like Dr Vladimir Dobrev, it seems to me that there is a great deal of hope for the future of the Egyptian vulture. Whilst the conservation work happens on the ground in Asia, you can be sure that the bird team at home at the Trust will continue to spread the message about vultures. They're more than meets the eye. A beautiful, fascinating, and most importantly, a vital part of our natural world. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Vladimir Dobrev and my colleague James Knight for their support in putting this episode together. If you'd like to support the work we do with vultures in the wild, donations can be made online, or for more information about the conservation research projects we undertake, you can find loads more on our website, hawk-conservancy.org. Lots more bird of prey content can also be found on our social media pages. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and perhaps consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.